This is the Empowered Conversations with Aline and Christina podcast. We are two educators of color that have been in the game for over 15 years. Thanks for joining us as we break down and speak on systems that were not built for Black, Indigenous people of color and the ways we address them head on. As we lean on each other in this work, it would be big for us if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Also, follow us on Instagram at Empowered Conversations Pod, where we build community and support one another in this work. All right, let's get into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Conversations podcast with Aline and Christina, episode 27. I'm Aline, co-host of this podcast. I've been in education for 16 years as a school counselor and a former high school assistant principal. I currently work at the high school level in the Bay Area. And I'm Christina, the other co-host of this podcast. This is my 17th year in education. I was a former high school English teacher, former assistant principal, co-principal, and site level admin program specialist. I'm currently a teacher coach at a K-12 school district in the Bay Area. Hey, y'all. <laughs> so in our last podcast, we, we talked about coaching. We talked about our experience or lack of experience, meaning like we didn't get coaches and just kind of went through um, our coaching program and the things that we're working with school leaders on. But before we get into today's episode, let's do a quick check-in. So Christina, what's on the top of your mind? Uh, um, what's on the top of my mind this week is actually planning a, um, a mindfulness day. Mm. Um, my grandmother, she passed away three weeks ago. And I was the family member who, for those of you who plan funerals for a family member, you know what's up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's another thing when you're planning a funeral during COVID times. And yeah, like I'm, I'm just physically and mentally exhausted. Um, Obviously, I'm like really sad yeah. and mourning my grandma because this is a person who raised me and my brother. And I'm sad that she's physically not here, but I'm also just relieved that she's no longer suffering. Mm -hmm. um, she had dementia, Alzheimer's. So it was just really tough the past five years. Yeah. And I, you know, I did something to where it's like, uh, she had her viewing uh, last, well, today's a Sunday night. So she had her viewing Wednesday night and then her actual funeral on Thursday. And I, I don't know why I just decided to not take a personal day on Friday. I was like, you know what? I think I just want to go straight into work. It will get my mind off of things. And then, of course, I'm like, well, I need to save up my, my time 
for maternity leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm just totally regretting it. And I see it in my work. Like I was looking at work I submitted, emails that I sent Friday. Some of them made no damn sense. Oh no. (laughs) So like I, I ended up like writing three emails to like apologize and say like, I'm sorry, I I just proofread this and this does not make any sense. Um, Let me get back to you on Monday. So yeah, y'all, self-care is hell of important. (laughs) It's like, we talk about self-care, I mean, on and off this podcast, but yet, you know, this is an example of what I need to practice what I preach. So yes. It's a reminder. Yes, a friendly reminder to self. Mm-hmm. Uh, self care day this week. Mm-hmm. But uh, with that said, Aline, how are you doing? What's on the top of your mind? No, I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. A lot. A lot. Um, COVID is still on. On you know, very very present. Not so much present. A lot. You know the first week back from winter break but it's still there and it's very it's interesting because um for some reason I always tend to um, be the counselor that calls out a student and talk you know to meet with them only to find out afterwards that they had COVID Mm. (laughs) like literally like they you know I had a student leave my office to go get tested because their appointment was right after my, you know, my appointment. And, um, I checked the attendance and, oh, marked as out because of COVID. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So you were just in my office and this happens to me at least once a week. So it's just so funny because I'm like, I'm so, nervous about getting it again, that I'm, it's just constantly almost teasing me. Um, and the only thing that keeps me, I guess, I don't know, I guess going still is that, you know, our district does still offer daily testing. So I'm constantly getting tested and it's been coming back negative. And so I'm just, you know, keeping my window open, wearing my mask and um, washing my hands all the time. So I just, you know, I got to keep doing that. But you know, besides that, just been having some pretty powerful conversations with all types of leaders these last couple of weeks for different reasons um, that I'll get into one day, just not today. Um, and also prepping for, for course programming for master scheduling. So this week, I think that's another reason why I'm like not really, it's kind of hard for me to think about it because I'm trying not to think about it since this, you know, this starts, this week starts our really busy time for counselors since, you know, we have presentations with students um, to go over course, course programming and picking their classes and, um, and then one-on-ones with them and parent nights. So it's just, it's, it's busy time. So part of me is also like, damn, I want to take a day too. <laughs> like, am I just... <laughs> but I just can't right now but I mean I don't know that's why I think like I'm gonna have to do a lot of work around protecting my energy you know during the time at home and like just really being mindful of how I'm taking care of myself since it's gonna be busy you know it's our busy time so Aline are you are you in charge of the master schedule no 
okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, our assistant principal is in charge of it. Okay. Um, and yeah. And so the counselors don't do too much around building the master schedule, but it definitely play a role in kind of um, providing feedback around timelines and what, you know, needs to get done. And I'm just really excited this time because we pretty much redesigned the entire presentation because we're doing a lot of work in our in our PLC around messaging and how you know how we talk to students about courses and what they see during our presentations and how we deliver information and so we decided to start over and we've included more inclusive you know photos and um, you know like graphics for the, the presentations. We've talked as a team around how to talk about AP classes and to talk about A through Gs and college readiness. Um, and so we've been super intentional this time around when it comes to course programming. So I'm really proud about that. Um, we'll see how it goes. So I'm sure I'll, I'll check in about that next time for sure. But I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, we have a guest, uh, so let's get into it. So I'm super excited about this guest that we're having on our podcast episode today. I was in the same cohort as the as our guest um, when I was in my doctoral program at Mills and got to be in some amazing you know, discussions and conversations with her. I've learned a lot from her and I continue to learn a lot from her just from the work that she's been doing, been keeping tabs on her through LinkedIn and just seeing all that she posts. And so I'm super excited that you know we get to have a conversation with her today. So on our episode, we have Dr. Jag Lathan and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, Jen. Hi, my name is Dr. Jag Lathan. Most folks call me Dr. Jag. I am an educational leader and the CEO and founder of New Generation Equity. I'm so glad to be uh, speaking today. So thank you for the invite, Christina and Elin. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's nice to meet you. And I was also in the doctoral program at Mills and um I'm sad that we didn't get to cross paths. Um, I, Aline, I started like a semester before you, right? So we're like a cohort and a half off. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think you started a whole year before me, but yeah, so we're, there's a bit of a, I think there's a whole cohort ahead of. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Yes. A whole year, a whole year. Okay. So um, with that said, Dr. Jag, before you tell us what you are up to now, uh, please share your educational journey with us. Wow. Um, so I have, um, I'll actually start from when I was younger because yeah. it helps kind of build the context uh, for the work that I do now. Um, when I, I was in grade school, <laughs> elementary school, I went to many schools, literally mm -hmm. from K-8, probably about 10 schools. Um, and that shaped kind of my experiences in school. I went to Catholic school until my parents could no longer afford it. Uh, and then I went to public school. So I really got to see the difference between expectations that adults had for children in different settings. Mm -hmm. So that was very eye-opening for me. Went to several um, high schools in the Bay Area, graduated from Skyline High School in Oakland. Uh, <laughs> And um, just met some amazing teachers and, again, had some experiences that were quite um, 
uh, really helped shape who I am today as an education leader mm-hmm. and mother, I would say. Um, one of my a pivotal time in my uh, educational career um, as a young person, younger person, was um, my 12th grade teacher um, at Skyline High School. I was a single mom. I was a mother, a mother in high school. Mm-hmm. I had my son when I was in the 11th grade. I went to Skyline High School in the 12th grade because I wanted to see something different. I went to a different district outside of Oakland before then. Mm-hmm. And I remember being interested in college. I got that from my mother, my grandmother. They were not college educated, but they were very determined for me to go to college. And I remember being at this high school and the um, the counselor said that I could not go on this field trip to one of the local Cal States. And I asked why, because I saw this group of people, young people on the, my you know peers on the bus mm-hmm. and they were all going somewhere. And he said, oh, they're going on a college tour, but only people with 3.0 and above can go. And at that time I didn't have a 3.0 and it was all white and Asian students on the bus, literally none of my Latino friends or Latino friends were on the bus. My Pacific Islander friends and my black friends were on the bus. And I knew some of those kids also had 3.0s. They had, they knew nothing about this college trip. Mm. Um, And I thought, I need to get out of here. You know, and he tried to encourage me to go to a continuation school since I had a child. I didn't need to because my grandmother offered childcare. So I thought, nope. Um, and I just remember that Catholic school teaching. And I remember my mother and grandmother just being so adamant about me going to college. So mm-hmm. I transferred to uh, Skyline High School. There I made, met amazing teachers. And one of which um, we had, uh, she had a day of a college kind of application day. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go because I don't have a 3.0. And she asked why I didn't have my college applications ready. So she really shepherded me, supported me, made sure I filled out the application. And she literally, not literally, but like metaphorically held my hand Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that I got into college. And once I got into San Francisco State as an undergrad, she connected me with the EOP office, Educational Opportunity Program office, literally, and was like, this is who you're going to talk to. They're going to help you through college. And they did. Um, And that was always on my mind as a teacher and a principal as I led schools and taught children. Like, how do you usher children through school? First-generation college students, students who might not have the supports, and make sure that they um, get into whatever they, you know, whatever college they want to go to or high school they want to go to. Um, and so that really helped shape kind of how I led and taught. After that, of course, I went on to get my teaching credentials and my administrative credentials and uh, became a teacher in Los Angeles Unified School District for my first five years, South Central Los Angeles. Uh, then I moved back to the Bay Area where I was a teacher and an administrator in Oakland and um, Emory Unified School Districts. And then I expanded from there um, to do other leadership type work. Oh my okay. goodness. There, yeah. There's so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, Okay, I probably I want to start off with Skyline because that's the one that jumps out to me the most. Like, this is crazy. First of all, we went to Mills 
And then it turns out that all three of us are mm-hmm. all Skyline graduates. Mm-hmm. Look at us. We're, yeah. I mean, we're fellow administrators and we, all three of us have our doctorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I did I mean, not know that both of you went to Skyline High School. Wow. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's how we met. Mm-hmm. So, okay. If you don't mind me asking, because you said, and I want to see if those teachers, if we had the same teachers and if they're still there, because I'm actually, I'm going up to Skyline tomorrow. Um, but who, who was the teacher that you said inspired you? Yeah, Miss Mayfield. Miss Mayfield. And um, she was my 12th grade English teacher. Miss Mayfield. Aline, does that sound familiar? It does. It does. When, when did you graduate, Jack, if you don't mind saying? Oh, I don't mind. 1994. Oh, so yeah. I mean, it's not too far off in the sense that there would be some crossover, some teachers, unless Miss Mayfield, you know, retired by the time we went, because we both are class of 2000. Mm. So not too, too far She may off. have been. Yeah, she may have been there soon. But I feel like... Okay. And anyways, interesting, though, that you, you know, call upon her name and remember and, you know, she literally like held your hand. Yes. And saw you, you know, to SF State, but also connected you with a program that was going to support you staying and, you know, succeeding in college. And so that's that's amazing. And also kind of similar experience for me in the sense that you know I didn't have a counselor that helped me at Skyline go to college mm-hmm. um, but that it were te- that it was teachers that really supported and um, actually an AAOP um, counselor that held my hand filling out the application so interesting but yeah okay so both Skyline but I also just the fact that you have all of this experience from all these different schools and you got to see firsthand like how different school systems both private and public were supporting or not supporting students how they were treating children and how you yourself experiencing as a young mother what it was what what it was like to go through a traditional school system and then finishing out your high school career at a school in Oakland and you know, finding the path to college because that was what you were set to do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because I also understand that, you know, when students bounce around to different schools, it does create additional challenges. You have mm-hmm. to learn sure. a new school climate and environment, but also the curriculum is different. The adults in the system and the children are different in the systems. And so it really was a challenge in some area ways I can now reflect. Dan, I didn't really know, um, but it really hampered my uh, academic kind of experiences. Um, I didn't read until the third grade. I remember mm-hmm. struggling a lot mm-hmm. in terms of decoding words. Um, and so in, it wasn't until I had a third grade teacher um, at the Catholic school who sat with me constantly to help me build those skills, because mm-hmm. by that time I had probably been to my fourth school by the time I was in third grade. And so um, I had missed a lot, but um, you know, she quickly helped me kind of recover and um, really build those necessary uh, reading foundational skills. Mm-hmm. And that helped me as a teacher, right? When students bounced around or when they just came in yeah. and they might not have reached the, 
kind of skill set that they needed to um, for their grade level. I knew and understood like this is the this is the time when we do it. When when I have them, when I'm their principal or their teacher, this is when I'm going to make sure to accelerate their learning. Mm-hmm. And I, I also want to you know just to bring it back to what you were saying earlier about how the school that you went to prior to Skyline, how there was a field trip to a CSU and you weren't allowed to go because you didn't meet the criteria. And I feel like that is, you know, something for school leaders to really um, assess and reflect upon because that that's a systemic practice that, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really holds back students, particularly black and brown students. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? It, it, yeah. And so it's just like, we really need to reassess those practices. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, is, what are we ultimately trying to accomplish as, as educators? Mm-hmm. So sometimes yeah. I feel like we're so stuck on the process mm-hmm. versus the overall goal, Yeah. right? And yeah. so if the overall goal is for our students to be, um, College ready, College and career, career ready. ready. Yeah. Like, okay, that that should be the focus yes. instead of like, yeah. well, you didn't hit this, 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 and this, so therefore you don't qualify. And mm-hmm. yeah, maybe next year. Maybe. Yeah, and and there was a lot of misinformation too, and information that was not provided. So once I went to Skyline and talked to, you know, my teacher and my counselor was actually, you do have a 3.0, right? They look at cumulative, like it was so eye-opening, the education I was provided versus when I was Mm -hmm. in the other school district and at the other school, the information wasn't provided. And so as a teacher and leader, that's one thing that is very um, important to me is to make sure we're transparent, we're clear, we provide all the information uh, to students and families that we need to and or in terms of like what their next steps could be and should mm-hmm. be right um, mm-hmm. because when we don't provide information and we hold back information then only your most privileged students if their parents are educated mm-hmm. and have the uh, the experience and the means would be able to really um, provide that information or if a student is in an AP class or an honors class, I wasn't in those classes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how would you get that information, right? It right. should, when, but when you're talking about equity and access, every kid mm-hmm. should have that information. Your students who are, have IEPs, your students mm-hmm. who are learning English as an additional language, your African-American students or whoever the students are, it should be, it's free public education. They deserve to have that information mm-hmm. in a timely manner. And for educators to actually prepare them so that they have options when they're ready to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, that just leads me, I mean, everything that you've said so far kind of reflects too on like how you've decided to be an educational leader. Um, and so I'm curious, like if you could tell us more about, you know, what you're doing now, kind of what led you to what you're doing now and how does equity and educational justice play a role in that? Yeah. So I, um, again, I, I was a teacher for about seven years and administrator for more years than that. <laughs> I lost count. <laughs> um, all in public, urban public schools. So from LA, Oakland, Emeryville, 
Um, and I also worked at county offices of education uh, for about seven or eight years total as an uh, executive leadership coach, executive director, and a chief of learning. And in all of those experiences, I always thought about in my leadership and in my teaching, like what, what, how do we accelerate student learning and provide the most, the best, you know, education for students um, that we can. And um, that was, that has always been my goal. And so some of some areas that I focus on um, are, for example, high expectations as a leader, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that um, my staff was properly prepared uh, to teach. When I first became an administrator, um, I, you know, when you're in the classroom, you see your classroom and maybe a few of your colleagues' classroom if you have the opportunity to visit. But for the most part, it's, it's a pretty, it can be a pretty isolating career. People don't know that, right? Mm -hmm. But you're in the classroom by yourself most of the time, six and a half hours a day with students, mm -hmm. unlike some professions that are more transparent and open. And so I knew what I knew. I knew I got great, my students had great results, but I didn't know really what was happening in all the other classrooms until I became an administrator mm -hmm. and my eyes were open. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? <laughs> there are a lot of great work that's happening. And then a lot of work where you see like, oh, this is why, you know, like you have um, students in urban areas who are not um, on grade level or above. Like it's very glaring um, it when sometimes when you have that lens, an equity lens. And so when I really started looking at kind of what was happening in, in my school, for example, I noticed that uh, we had, for example, a reading recovery program in the sixth grade. And I thought, why, why do we have this program? And it wasn't really effective. And I don't know if it was a program or the, you know, the teacher didn't have the skills, whatever it was, it wasn't as effective as it could be. And really, when you have programs like that, sometimes it's a symptom, but it's not addressing the root cause. Mm -hmm. And I was really big on let's address the root cause so that we can make sure that all of our students are are you know getting what they need in there in this case you know literate so I started from kindergarten observing classrooms all the way to sixth grade and I noticed that starting in sixth kindergarten kids weren't learning um like their sounds and the, and then the progression through sixth grade was not very coherent or cohesive and so my first task was to dismantle the reading program because teachers were relying on it, like, oh, if they don't read, learn to read in third grade, they'll learn in sixth grade in that special program. No, mm -hmm. they're going to learn in kindergarten. Um, and so we started to really understand literacy, right? All the components of literacy, how to teach sound, when it's appropriate, like writing, observation skills, like all of that. And that was my first try at like systems work as an educator and uh, as a principal and having high expectations, right, for my teachers, making sure they're trained appropriately, making sure they had access to their colleagues' classrooms and started really making it more transparent in terms of what different grade levels and classrooms were doing. So that grade level articulation and also vertical articulation across multiple grade levels. 
So I know that's a long story, but it's really about the high expectations that I hold. And it's from my own personal experiences mm-hmm. and knowing the difference between someone who said you can't go to college because you're not, you don't meet the qualifications and someone who says you can and you will, and this is how we're going to do it. Right. And so yeah. throughout my career, that has been on my mind. We mm-hmm. have to prepare educators to prepare students. Right. Mm. And so high expectations is a big piece for me in terms of leadership and uh, high expectations for my staff, but then also from, from uh, students as well and their families. Um, I have a couple more, but I don't know if I'm... Go ahead. Okay. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> also, a big piece for me, and this is leading to what I'm doing now, all yeah. of everything, what I'm saying, uh, continuous improvement mindset that's always been really important. I asked one of my former teachers, like, how did you all, they were very creative and innovative. And she said, because you never punished us. Mm-hmm. When we wanted to try something on, we tried it on, you came and visited, we had conversations. If it worked, great. If it didn't, how can we revamp and do it differently the next time? Right. And that's, I believe like humans, we grow more when we come in with that growth mindset and continuous improvement mindset. Um, Yeah, of course, looking at data is big, like with an equity lens, like looking at demographic data and looking at it frequently, not the, I call it the autopsy, right? So not Mm -hmm. the big test at the end of the year, but literally weekly, daily, Mm -hmm. how are you assessing student learning and how are you changing your practice to make sure that they are learning? Mm -hmm. Collaboration is huge in terms of teachers collaborating around that data and continuous improvement process and for them to hold each other accountable and for me to hold them accountable and for them to hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. That was a big piece of it. And then also everything was grounded in equity, making sure students had what they needed, when they needed and how they needed. Um, And also thinking about like curriculum, making sure that students were represented in the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We had um, a book list at our school and I had criteria and I didn't develop it on my own. I had a group of teachers who helped me develop it, but it was, is a, are students reflected in the literature that we're yeah. selecting, right? Is it grade level appropriate and above? Mm-hmm. Like every, every kid in second grade and above had to read chapter books. That's what their lists were comprised of. Um, I didn't get that in elementary school. I don't, I don't remember reading a chapter book until high school. Mm. And I thought that is unacceptable, right? There are beautiful books out there that students need to read and and should read. So bridging that to the work that I do now, I created an organization called New Generation Equity. Literally, I launched in December, 2021. So it's been one month since (laughs) I've launched and I'm super excited Um, my life work is around social justice and equity, mostly in education, but I'm also branching out to work with organizations who want to have and implement equity initiatives. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm also um, branching out into other arenas outside of education, but basically the work that I just shared. So around equity leadership, around, um, kind of like building institutions that are strong for students and for staff. That's what I support leaders to do through equity coaching, team building and team coaching, Mm -hmm. um, strategy development and implementation. Mm -hmm. So that is the work that I'm doing now. Plus workshops, of course, or anything equity, implicit bias, stereotype threat, like all of those kind of um, those complexities of equity. 
um, I help people kind of unravel and think about what it looks like in their system. Thank you. Because I'm looking, I'm looking at your website right now. It, it's really dope. It, <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, it's, it's just very pleasing to the eye. And I love how you have examples. I, I'm, I'm just like, I, I look at everything. Cause I was a, um, I was an EL, ELD teacher. So it's like everything that I presented, like a, as an administrator, as, as a teacher, it's like, I'm always like, okay, I need visuals and I need examples. And yes, it's just, this is just really nicely organized. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and I mean, just the work that you said, like all of it is coming from your experience, from what you saw was lacking and from what exactly. you were able to implement in the schools that you worked at and that you led and in the yes. county and like what you learned and saw from the county offices, right? Yes. Of education. Yes. And knowing that this work not only needs to be done in the education system, but outside of it as well in different organizations where we still see that there are a lot of microaggressions, implicit bias, um, just even thinking about who is at the table and in leadership positions and a lot of the systems that need to be dismantled, not just in our school systems, but beyond. And so you're doing some amazing work. And I'm really excited about seeing what happens with, you know, your new adventure, um, because it is needed. Um, but it also, I'm excited that it's coming from you, from someone who's had all this experience in schools in different systems, different districts. Um, and that definitely, you know, comes from experience. But my question for you, Dr. Jag, is what kept you in the system for as long as you did? Like what kept you there as, as a leader that was focused on educational justice? What are some things that you can point back to that kept you in? My desire for our most vulnerable youth mm -hmm. to break the cycle of poverty, to um, have the options that they want to have and be able to pursue those options. Yeah. Those were my main reasons for staying in education uh, as long as I have been and for being an equity leader. Um, I wanted to make a difference, a broader difference. So I went from the classroom to an administrator, a principal. I was thinking, I want to make a bigger difference. I want to see more than 30 kids accelerate. I want to see you know, 600 students at my school accelerate. Then when I went to county office work, the exact same thing, like, oh, I, trans I transformed a school, right? So how can I help do this at a county office where you have impact and influence over many districts within that county? Yeah. And so that kept me going and pushing. And then, then I got to a point where I thought, this is, there's some, there some limitations even there. Mm -hmm. um, and I no longer want to be limited by the system that I'm in. That's right there, right? I no longer <laughs> want to be limited by the system that I'm in um, and, and creating your own, like saying, These are, this is what I want to do and how I'm going to support not just one school, one district, um, one organization, but several at the same time. Yes, yeah, several at the same time and also... Um, I really got tired of the bureaucracy. 
Mm. And I, I assumed the higher I went, right, teacher, principal, executive director, chief, Mm-hmm. That, that I would be able to really break some barriers and transform systems the way, uh, mm-hmm. you know, research says and the way yeah. I've experienced from different programs and situations. And what I realized, the higher up you go, that is not the case. In no, fact, the no, higher no. up, yep. <laughs> in fact, the higher up you go, sometimes the more politicians, the more your constituents want you to be a puppet. I mm-hmm. can't do that. Like I'm not, that's not the work that I got into this for. And I still was able to make with my teams, make some great changes in the institutions that I worked and I don't regret it at all. Mm -hmm. And I was really disappointed at, in some parts of my uh, professional journey with, um, with the adults in the system who wanted to maintain status quo that was not working for all children and families and community. Mm -hmm. No, thank, thank you for pointing that out because it's like, you're right. It's like the higher you go up specifically in education, you know, from our experience uh, is that it's like the more responsibilities you have and it, it, in a sense, it takes you further and away from what you truly are, uh, why you went into education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, because I know that for me as a, as a leader, I was like, okay, I, I want to specifically focus on instruction. Like that is my, that is my passion is to focus on instruction and teacher support. That's what I'm going to do. And it's like, yeah, I did that, but <laughs> not as, not as much as I wanted to. Um, and if I really wanted to do that, I I was doing that like after hours, after, after hours, right? Like 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night type of hours, because you have all these other things that you have to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just that constant struggle of like balance Mm -hmm. and what to prioritize. And especially like in your first few years as an administrator, it's, it's really hard to make that determination. I, I would say um, for me, like I, I was after a certain amount of years of experience and a lot of reflecting was when I got to that level of like, okay, I think I, I know how to prioritize and how, how to make this, that balance, but it, it just takes, takes time. Yeah, mm. it definitely takes time. And um that is what like part of my role now um, as a coach, as a leadership coach mm-hmm. that I um, help leaders do, right? To, to really help them see their system and figure out ways, effective ways to um, lead and get to that place that you're talking about, Christina, um, so that they can focus on what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really helping people understand the difference between creating strong systems and always putting out fires you're always putting out fires that's a problem that means there's something in your system that needs to be changed or adjusted mm-hmm. and so um yes you're right with time like after I would say year three as a principal I felt like I had my groove and if mm-hmm. I wasn't in the classroom my teachers were 
giving me the side eye? How come you're not in classrooms? Like they literally expect, and other principals are like, why do they want you in the classroom? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I took a coaching stance and it's because mm-hmm. they knew I was there to support them and not to be punitive with them. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that takes time to learn how to, you know, I don't even know if you can have a balance. I, I still don't know that. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't even say balance. It's like the word, how to say no. Yeah. <laughs> or trade-offs, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that, and that's why it's just so important to have a coach, mm-hmm. right? Because real talk, it shouldn't take years and years of experience to, to get you to that groove. Yeah, it's it right? shouldn't. Um, yeah. Because by that time, there's that's when we start weeding out people. Like there's, you know, it's like there are those who stay and, and are just willing to, you know, give it another try, give it another year. And then there are those who are just like, uh-uh, like I can't mm-hmm. no, like this is this is too much. Yeah. So with with leadership coaches such as yourself, Dr. Jag, like you could be, it would be so beneficial for like new or aspiring administrators to, to get that thought partner to help them you know, discover ways of potential balance and how to prioritize. Um, I, it's yeah. just essential to start at year one. Yeah. Not and like, to also see the system, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. I think when you are I can say when I was a new administrator, I saw my system in parts, right? And so it's when you become a little more experienced and or you have someone, a thought partner to help you see the system, like really see like as much as you can in terms of like what's happening when your policies and practices, are they matching what's happening in your schools? Is it matching how you behave towards parents and students, you know, like your actions. And so really have, as a coach, you can come in and you, because you're on the outside, you might see things that the leader doesn't see. Um, and they can really help them um, kind of illuminate some things for them by asking questions, going on uh, virtual walks now, classroom walks or in-person <laughs> classroom walks and really having conversations about what they want, their vision and how to help them uh, manifest that. Mm-hmm. And that really helped me. I had a coach very early in my career uh, from the National Equity Project, and it was probably uh, career saving for me because I probably yeah. would have exited education yeah. sooner <laughs> if I didn't have someone help me yeah. like really see things differently. Both okay. of our eyes are wide open because we just did like an episode about, you know, just coaching for school leaders and our own experience mm-hmm. with their lack of experience with it, because it was not something that was offered to us or even, you know, part of the system we were in. Yeah. And so my question for you is like, was that something you sought out or was that something oh. the district had as part of their system for new administrators? That was something our system had. So my mentor was, um, her name is Ana Carita Allen, and she was um, either a board member or connected with the National Equity Project in some way. And one of their staple services is coaching, coaching for equity. And so I was so fortunate to be able to just hit the ground running with a coach um, who was very experienced leader and who very 
deeply knows the work of equity. Um, and I was a little skeptical at first. She's a white woman. And I thought, what does she know about equity? Mm -hmm. And um, she, she knew it. Um, and she could, <laughs> she, mm -hmm. she was in there, you know, and so and, and we taught each other a lot uh, mm -hmm. during the, she was my coach. I was a principal for about seven years, I would say about four or five years, she was my coach. Wow. Yeah, That's for a amazing. very long time. And my school at the time was low performing when I started. Mm -hmm. And before I left, it was high performing mm -hmm. above 800 in the API days. Mm -hmm. um, and um, <laughs> just getting really recognized for the work we were doing with our English uh, learners and also with our uh, all of our students of color. So, um, but the coaching helped and that is what I love to do with leaders. Like yeah. really get in there with them and provide resources uh, for them um, mm -hmm. and research. Sometimes leaders don't have time to do all that. And so mm -hmm. the coach's job could be, here is some research resources mm -hmm. and the latest research mm -hmm. on whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's kind of dissect this together and talk about how this may be of use to you and your leadership. Yeah. That's something that both Christine and I kind of reflected on, especially when going through the last episode, but just also like deciding our pivot is that, you know, what would have happened if we received the coaching we needed in those first few years of being an administrator? Would we still be at that school or in that district or still an administrator serving in that capacity? Um, and so really wanting to make sure that our school leaders, specifically our school leaders of color, have access mm -hmm. to, to coaches mm -hmm. yeah. to, you know, really hone in on their leadership skills, but also to have a space that's not judging them mm -hmm. on what they don't know or what they want to explore more. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we're in line with that, that whole idea of the importance of a coach and also just what it could do for new leaders, especially, and keeping them around for much longer, um, then you know maybe the system pushing them out way yes. too early for sure oh man there, there's a lot of <laughs> I, like I, I won't go there but I'm, I'm just there's like other little questions I want to ask you only because we're so interconnected mm -hmm. like yeah I mean just the colleges we went to the cities where we're from where we graduated from so Dr. Jack, I hope we could continue this relationship. I would love to, um, I, I would love for us uh, to build a ongoing relationship because this is, this is mm -hmm. dope. Thank yes. you. Yeah. And I agree. So, but with that said, you know, kind of going back and connecting back to what we were talking about, we, we talked about balance and is that possible? There goes that train I was telling you about. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode without the trade <laughs> so the, I, I do want to bring it back to the balance and you know not just balance at work but just balance just in life in general so Dr. Jack could you tell us what you do for self-care yes thank you um that is such a good question as um educational equity leaders the work of equity can be so emotionally taxing, right? Mm -hmm. We're always on in terms of holding spaces for people to have courageous conversations. Yeah. Um, and 
just really that emotional intelligence. It takes up some brain space um, mm-hmm. in time. Um, and so I have to definitely take care of myself personally. I enjoy things like hiking and biking. During the pandemic, I bought a bike and I had I did some trail riding. It was so amazing. I have not, I hadn't ridden a bike since probably a young adult. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was really fun. Um, definitely hiking. I try to find as many trails as I can. And journaling is something that I do almost every day. And my journaling is more like a prayer, like giving uh, gratitude uh, to the universe about like the things that I'm grateful for. And also meditating is important. So praying for me um, um, on a daily basis, again, with the gratitude and also for other people and for myself and for the day, uh, helps me stay grounded on a daily basis. Uh, Pilates, I have not been in Pilates since the pandemic started. Uh, Pilates Reformer is amazing for um, the body in terms of building strength and agility. And so um, that really helped me um, just in terms of strength and also brain-wise to relax. Mm. And so I'm hoping that I can find a studio now that I'm back in Northern California that I enjoy. Um, And talking on the phone. (laughs) I have some girlfriends that I love talking on the phone with about um, their day and also sharing mine. We do like an empty the cup type thing and then refilling our cups up. Oh, I love that. That's also... Um, really good to engage in. So those are the things. Oh, and I have a grandson. So my son is now 29. Remember, I had him mm-hmm. in the 11th grade. Um, and he's 29. His son will be one years old in February. So it is the most delightful thing to be a grandparent. Um, so I kiss on him all the time. And mm-hmm. I have him uh, at least once a week. Um, I take him to swimming lessons. My, I'm determined for him to be a swimming star. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that. Christina's face is like <laughs> shocked. I'm just like, okay, first of all, I mean, besides the, the biking, I, I don't bike. Um, and, but and, like, I feel like there's just so many things like I, 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 the whole hiking thing, the journaling, the praying, the filling up the cup. Are we talking about wine or figures? No, it's like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> now, sometimes it is wine. So. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, but I just love that whole concept of like emptying the cup and filling the cup, like with your yes. friends. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh my God, we're like twins. <laughs> and then like, you jump to being a grandma. I mean, y'all can't see her right now, but she does not look like a grandma. <laughs> like, that's why that, that's why my like it, my eyes were just like, wait, what? Yeah, I get well, the twenty-nine-year-old son, and then a yeah. grandma. I was yeah. like, wow. I get very grateful when I hear people say, "Oh, how old is your baby?" I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, thank you so much." <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. I love that list, by the way. Me I mean, too. all the things that you listed are just amazing. And the fact that, you know, you, you have your grandson once a week and you take him to swim lessons, because even that could be, it's so full of joy, just seeing yeah. that, you know, them learn and explore new things, but also being around water and how calming that is. It just gives me ideas of mm-hmm. all the, I was like, oh, I could do that too. Or, yeah. oh, what? So thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I thank you. Yes. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going to catch you off guard because I did not send this question ahead of time. Okay. Um, and so hopefully, you know, this something comes off just top of mind. But something we've been asking our guests um, prior to this is some like, what is a song that gets you up the hill? And you'll know this reference because you went to Skyline. And so something that Christina and I, you know, talked about is that you know, times were hard being um, administrators at Skyline at the time that we were there. And there's a hill to get up there. And so oftentimes when we needed to pump ourselves up or get us in the right mindset to like start the day in a place of, you know, forward thinking instead of, you know, being negative, you know, there was certain songs that we would play to get us up that hill. Mm -hmm. Um, So are there any songs or is there a song that you can think of that gets you up that hill or through the day? And you're laughing, so I'm hoping you... <laughs> no, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, I like a lot of different songs. Oh, yeah, give us some, <laughs> give us some. Or something you can think of on those days where you're like, man, I put this song on and it just gets me to where I need to be. So this is, uh, so rap. So I'm, so I'm really a big jazz fan. I love smooth jazz. That mm-hmm. is like my number one genre. However, if I need a pick-me-up, I can listen to old school rap forever common is a big one Mm -hmm. right very positive upbeat um and so I don't know if it's a song as much as it is like just the genre of I need something to to pump me right now right yeah um so yeah sorry I wish I had a song in mind and I know when I get off I'm gonna say (laughs) oh this song this song this song We'll send it to us because we'll find a way to incorporate it. But I mean, just that in itself. Yeah. You know, some common or some, some rap, some old school rap to get yeah. you in that mindset. Yeah. I think we could both agree to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so extreme. I, I, don't think, I don't think I had a song when I had to share mine. I think I just said DMX. You yeah. did. <laughs> you did. You did. So yeah, you're, you're good. You don't you're need a good. song. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Thank you again so much for being a guest on our podcast and having this conversation and sharing your experience, your knowledge, and just all this amazingness from, you know, what you're setting out to do um, with other school leaders that listen in to this, this podcast. So thank you so much, Jag, and we look forward to, you know, crossing paths again and continuing the conversation. Thanks to the both of you for the invite. Thank you. Thank you. So once again, Aline and I have started our one-on-one coaching program for school leaders. Through our experiences and our understanding of the role of the school leader, we want to support other school leaders. So, so far with our coaching sessions, with our first cohort, we have helped our school leaders reflect on their vision and mission statement prioritize roles and responsibilities, identify protocols and processes that need updates, modifications, or are just simply missing, 
and identify strengths, skills, and the talent at school sites that can bring the vision and mission alive. Because the admin or school leaders cannot accomplish student achievement alone. This is a community effort. So our coaching program includes one-on-one -on -one weekly sessions via Zoom for 12 weeks. Um, it helps school leaders reflect, plan, and organize using equity and educational justice as the focus. So through our coaching program, school leaders will feel empowered to make the difficult decisions necessary to support our BIPOC students, learn how to transition from an educator ally to a co-conspirator, have a support system free of judgment, grow in their practice, and prevent burnout and find more balance with your personal life. Yeah, so thank you all for joining us in this conversation. We hope you took something away from it. Please support the work we are doing by um, doing a few things for us. Please subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review. That's how we grow. So please, if you have a moment, just take, you know, and I know Spotify does um, reviews now or you could rate now as well on Spotify. So please go ahead and do that. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Empower Conversations Pod. Check out our freebie, Creating Your Vision and Mission. It's a section from our book. That link is in our bio and in the show notes. Visit our bookshop. Check out what we have curated and support an independent bookstore. The link is in our show notes. Thanks, y'all. We look forward to next time. Oh,